This is a previously recorded episode. Views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. You're listening to the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. Simon Cowell abroaches. Plagiarized the work of a blogger, David Harnes. Now, what's going on with that? Just bag. Where's my number? Bag. It was condescending baggage. I had a few too many, and I just drove home, and I just fucking, yeah. Is it true you sexually harassed a co worker uh, in a college newspaper? It's a Detroit sports website. Uh, I don't say it. this. This 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 puke isn't even worth being mentioned. The only time we should mention him is for his obituary. Except okay. no one will care when he's dead. We're talking to T. Foss, Terry Foster, ninety-seven-one. Uh, this guy got his hands into everything: failed restaurants, failed marriages, failed liquor licenses. This guy's an animal. I make good choices nowadays. Before we get started, Jeff Moore. Is that correct? Lawrence, you here to do the interview today or yeah. what's the deal? Yeah, no, I just... All right. Well, we, we, I'm sure Terry greatly appreciates that. The other thing is, you, you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got some people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. To the DetroitSportsRag.com podcast, Jeff Moss here, as always, founder, editor-in-chief of the DSR, and uh, Jessica is back after a one-week hiatus. Hopefully everything's okay with you and yep. doing better. Yep. Yep. One word answer. That's that's great for a radio <laughs> podcast. Very helpful, right? Yeah, very, thank you so much. No problem. So um, before we get started, should tell you that the DSR podcast and the Detroit Sports Drag itself, as always, brought to you by CaliTickets.com. Cali Tickets, you can call them at 877-225-8425 for your ticket needs all across this country, Adele, Rolling Stones, Bon Jovi, uh, Maroon 5, (laughs) all of my favorites. You can call them at 877-225-8425, Red Wings, Pistons, Lions, whatever you want they have. Mention the DSR, and you will get a 10% discount. 
If you mention Jessica's one word retorts, you can get a 10% <laughs> discount. Mention Marlo Moss or Melissa Miss, you get a 10%. I think you get where I'm going here. Anything DSR related, 10% off your ticket by. Where else are you going to get that deal? So this is the show for Tuesday, October 25th. And we're going to spend much of the first segment, if not all, uh, discussing the death of Drew Sharp. As most of the people listening to this podcast know, uh, Drew Sharp was not one of our favorites here at the website. As a matter of fact, he is the current reigning champion of the DSR's worst media personality tournament for 2016, where he crushed former winner of this tourney, Terry Foster, in an absolute landslide. And as some people have asked me, will Terry Foster now be taking over the duties for the DSR's Worst Media Personality Tournament champion? Uh, This is not a beauty pageant. This is not Miss Michigan State. So no, um, Terry Foster will not be taking over any duties of Drew Sharp. As a matter of fact, it's kind of strange. I guess this was in February where we had the tournament of 64 came down to Foster and, and uh, Sharp with Sharp, you know, obviously winning based on his plagiarism scandal from December of last year, which we will get into momentarily. Uh, but it's really bizarre that uh, Sharp is now gone dead at the age of 56 uh, passed away in his sleep Friday morning uh, from basically, I think, heart disease. Uh, he was born with uh, heart problems. He had a couple of surgeries when he was uh, younger, and um, that's what did him in. And Terry Foster, who he ousted in the tourney, is recovering from a stroke from a few months ago. Had a setback. He was supposed to come back the first week of October to 97.1 to co-host his show with Mike Valente. That didn't happen as we broke that news exclusively. And we don't know when Terry Foster will return, if he will return. Uh, so I'm not sure it's the Madden curse, but uh, not not great luck for the two finalists in the 2016 DSR Media Personality Tournament. That That's for damn sure. The first year we had that tournament, Michael Rosenberg won for his investigation of Rich Rodriguez, the coach of University of Michigan, uh, based based on a personal grudge. And when we started doing this tournament, the goal was always to award a trophy to the winner in embarrassing fashion. And we never got to Rosenberg because, well, one, he left the uh, Detroit Free Press to go work for Sports Illustrated. Two, he wasn't the most public of figures. 
So he was never like out in the open where we knew he was going to be for a scheduled appearance where it was just basically a sitting duck situation. That never occurred. So he never got to deliver the trophy to Rosenberg. The second year, Foster won. And we were able to deliver the trophy to him downtown at a Buffalo Wild Wings where he was having a uh, viewing of the ESPN Detroit Pistons Bad Boys documentary, which Foster had played a part in. I think Sharp might have been in that also. I'm not 100% positive. But uh, we knew where Foster was going to be. We delivered the trophy and we had a mariachi band. Actually, I shouldn't say band. It was one guy. It was one, <laughs> one, one mariachi singer who didn't speak English and his pregnant wife came and uh, the mariachi singer sang one shining moment <laughs> to Foster. He serenaded him while we gave him the trophy. Uh, then uh, two years ago, the winner was Scott the Whale Anderson, midday host at 97.1. And, and Anderson had a uh, public event in Berkeley, I want to say, across from 24 Seconds, new bar that the guy who owns 24 Seconds open. So we knew where he was going to be, and we delivered the trophy to him, accompanied with a sex doll with a T-shirt that said Gators first. <laughs> because, as we all know, Scott Anderson, 45-year-old man, has never had sex. So we thought, I mean, look, we thought it was we were doing a guy a favor getting him a sex doll. I feel like you did do him a solid thing. Well, I mean, seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. If I'm 44. If I've been backed up to my eyeballs like that for the last 44 <laughs> years, real doll, sex doll, uh, pocket pussy, anything anybody <laughs> wanted to buy me, pocket Jessica, <laughs> I would have been all in on it. So why Scotty Anderson took that sex doll, threw it on the floor, and curb stomped it, I have no idea. But that's what he did. He probably taped it up and reinflated it when he got home. You think he's... That's just my guess. Well, if you've ever seen Scotty Anderson, that sex doll probably didn't have much of a chance in bed. (laughs) I'm sure it was deflated on the first encounter. So that was the delivery of the trophy for Scott. So we were two for three. We hadn't delivered Drew Sharp his 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 award uh, as of last Friday um, because, unfortunately, what was going to be very easy became difficult. Uh, as you might remember, Drew Sharp was working for one hundred five point one when he won the won the uh, DSR's Worst Media Personality Tournament. And they were doing live events uh, at the Joe Louis Arena at other places, him and Matt Derry. They were the PM Drive guys over there. And we thought, well, this is going to be easy as, as pie. Not, no Michael Rosenberg situation. They're going to announce one day that Drew Sharp is broadcasting from some bar or opening day at Comerica Park or wherever. And we'll be able to plan it for a couple weeks and do whatever we want. And we came up with a great idea. Now, I'm not sure it's as good as delivering a sex doll to Scott Anderson. But we had a plan to 
go to wherever Sharp was going to be for a live remote with today's birthday girl, as it uh, just is a coincidence, Miranda McCoy. And we were going to help Miranda give Drew Sharp his trophy. Uh, Why would we need to help Miranda? Well, because she is quadriplegic, and anyone who is familiar with this website knows that Drew Sharp last early December plagiarized an article by David Harnes regarding Miranda's relationship with Michigan State quarterback at the time, Connor Cook. So we thought it would be pretty entertaining for Miranda to help us deliver the trophy. But then, as you all know, Drew Sharp and Matt Deary were fired from 105.1 a couple months before they made the switch to 1990s hip-hop. And early 2000s. Yeah, in early 2000s. The same 50 songs on the loop, yeah. which uh, quintupled their ratings. So it became very difficult finding Drew Sharp, and we never were able to deliver the trophy. Some of my more warped and sick and depraved followers <laughs> suggested that I take the trophy to his wake and deliver <gasps> it to his Shame on you, widow. you guys. Yeah, that's that's my those are my fans. That that's the thought a never too even far. crossed my mind. <laughs> that was just that was just a line that I wasn't willing to cross. <laughs> no, so we're not doing that. Yeah, that's cold. <laughs> so there will be no trophy delivery um, in 2016. Uh, unfortunately, Drew passed away, as I said, on, on Friday at the age of 56. And when it first occurred, my, my sister had advised me um, that she got I, – I don't – I used to have the Freep app. I don't know if you have the Free Press app on your no. phone. I used to have it, but I, I you'd get inundated with nonsense, uh, breaking news, which wasn't breaking news, and I just deleted it up from my phone because it was annoying the shit out of me. But I guess early Friday morning, I don't know, around 9.30, the Free Press sent out a news bulletin to anyone who had the app that uh, Sharp passed away, and my sister got it because she's still – follows that uh, application or still has it on her phone even though she's a backstabber who lives in Chicago and it alerted me that uh, Drew had passed away. Now, as a matter of fact I get a text message from my sister 9.30 in the morning I usually don't get text messages from her that early and the first message was OMG I'm thinking, what? What? She never sends me a message like that. What's going on? So I go, what? And then she responds, what, with an exclamation point. I'm like, I've got two young nephews. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Right, stop toying with me. I'm like, yeah, what's going on? (laughs) I have no idea. And then she tells me the news that Drew Sharp died, which, preferable to anything happening to my nephews. Let me put it that way. Well, duh. My first reaction was to go on Twitter, and I posted a image that stated basically to the the fact that if you have nothing to say about nice about something, don't say anything at all. Which was what I was planning on doing. I wasn't going to comment. The man just died tragically. Um, 
obviously I didn't like his work. I thought he was a troll. Um, he he was an embarrassment to the Detroit sports media, in my opinion. But I don't want to see anyone die, unless they're a, you know maybe a dictator or something of a third world country putting people to death. And I I really don't call for the death penalty for bad sports columnists in Detroit. So I wasn't happy, but I was basically indifferent. I, I really didn't feel much. And as I wrote that later that day on the DSR, my article about him passing was basically when you're around for over 30 years, and he was an employee of the Free Press for 33 years, and you've cultivated an image where you're basically a wrestling heel, where you've never really been genuine, where you've been a columnist for 17 years, and because... Uh, the other columnist of the paper at the time was Mitch Album, who was basically writing flowery prose about the Detroit sports teams and really wasn't super critical or critical at all. Drew decided to take some anti-negative approach to the gig to separate himself from Frodo and became very disingenuous over the last 17 years as a columnist. And when you do that and when you become a caricature and when you become a villain and you're one of the leading voices in the major in Detroit in the number one paper in town, the most read, and you've basically wasted that space for us for 17 years, uh, there's a price to pay for that. And I believe that price is when you pass away. The Spiro's on the line? Yep. All right, we'll get to him in a minute. You'll have to hold. When you when 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 that occurs, there is a, a price to pay, and that price is that when you pass away, whether you're eighty or ninety or fifty six, I'm just not going to really have too much feeling about it because it's just it, it it just you've lived you've basically lived a duplicitous duplicitous professional life. All right, you want to pick up Spiro? God, Spiro. Hi, guys. Say hi, hi. Say hi to Jessica and wish her uh, well. <laughs> uh, I wish you well. Thank <laughs> you. She'll say yes. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. Good so, I, you know, I have you been listening to this? First, um, what's that? Have you been listening? No, I was just going to tell you, I haven't listened to the first 20 minutes. I assume this has been a, a Drew Sharp thing. Is that what I should jump into right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been going off. I'm just getting to the point. I've been explaining everything, the history and things like that. And uh, I wanted to get into right now, and you can chime in on this. I've actually done my uh, show prep, my due diligence. I've printed out all the articles that were written by his friends in the Detroit media over the last... I don't know what, four days. Jeff Seidel, Lynn Henning, Mitch Album, uh, Jamie Samuelson, Joe Rexrode. I'm not sure if I missed anyone, but I think they were basically, those were the uh, the big ones from the free press and the news. Rexrode over now at the Tennessean, but used to work with him up until, I don't know, six months ago with Sharp. And and the, the 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 theme in every single one of these articles, and Spiro can attest to this, was that we really didn't know 
Drew Sharp. That Drew Sharp was a great guy, funny, great friend, nothing like his persona at the Free Press. And my point to that has been over the last 96 hours or whatever it's been is if we didn't know, and when I say we, I'm talking about the royal we, I'm talking about the people who read his, his articles or knew of his existence, if we didn't know him, whose fault was that? The man was an employee of the Detroit Free Press for 33 years. He was a columnist for 17 years. He had a morning drive show at WDFN. He had a PM drive show at WDFN. He had a PM drive at 105.1. And he was a guest on many national shows like Dan Patrick, Jim Rome. He made several appearances on ESPN Sports Center over the years. If we didn't know who he was, whose fault was that? It was Drew Sharp's because he was not, if you believe his friends, who he was in print. And if there's any greater indictment of a writer or a personality than after 33 years that we didn't know him, Spiro, I ask you this question. What are we supposed to think after all of this time? Well, you know, that's, that's their right to share their experience as they had it with him. Uh, but what I've taken a bigger issue with is sort of the outside of the column. I mean, we see in these columns, you know, you didn't know the real Drew Sharp. But as these people are criticized by not just members of the DSR or myself or other people, the response is not just, oh, well, you didn't know he was this great guy. It's you don't know what you're talking about. He was a great guy. And, and, and there's this criticism of the criticism of Drew Sharp. And again, it just goes along with your line of it's his fault if we don't know him. So it's one thing for Joe Rex road or anyone else to get in print and say, you know, here's what I thought about the guy. He was a swell guy. And I just, I don't think the public knew him. You know what? That's fine. That's a pill. I'm willing to swallow, even if I don't like it. But what I'm not willing to take is this criticism from the other side that we are the assholes for calling it like it is and explaining what our experience with Drew Sharp was. And it goes beyond just reading an article where he's bragging that he's using his AP vote to vote Michigan State 14th in the country when they were the clear second or third best team in 2013 or his next article about the Lions or whatever it may be. We have experience with him outside of his column directly. Well, we'll get to that. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. But I want to read some of the just duplicitous and phony bullshit quotes from some of these uh, articles, and I've, I've highlighted them. This is from Lynn Henning, who had the audacity to say, quote, this is one terrific sports writer and professional. Those who came to appreciate his craft before he turned columnist in 1999 understood implicitly how good he was. This is from Mitch Album. A man is more than his column, and those who judge you Drew, the person, based on Drew, the words, missed a great deal. They missed a man charitable with a laugh with his time, a devoted and dogged worker who rarely said no to any assignment, no matter how short the notice. Once again, completely missing the point. We were never going to know him as a person, which is fine, as I said in my article. You want to say he was a great guy to have a hamburger with in Milwaukee after a Pistons game? That's fine. But to 
have this revisionist history about an absolute troll, a carnival barker, a monorail salesman. This guy was the Detroit version of Skip Bayless. And he basically, all of these articles, whether it's the people I just mentioned, or Wojo, or Jamie Samuelson, or Joe Rexroad, none of them commented on the fact that basically he was he was living a lie. And you want to talk about the fact that he used his AP vote as a voter to troll Michigan State fans and then would go on Twitter because he was back on Twitter and basically throw it in their faces using a vote to get cheap heat. That The year the Michigan State played Baylor in the Cotton Bowl, about a month before that game, Drew Sharp didn't have Michigan State on his top 25 ballot. And he wasn't doing that because he thought he was being he was right. He was doing it because he wanted a reaction. And he wasn't a good enough writer to get that reaction without stooping to that type of nonsense. Keep in mind, that was a team that finished the year, depending on the poll, fourth or fifth in the country. Yeah, and a month before the season ended, he didn't have them ranked in the top 25. And he thought it was funny. that It was all a game to him. You know, let me jump in. You know, you compare him to Skip Bayless, and here's here's what I compare him to. He's the worst part of Skip Bayless combined with the worst part of Stephen A. Smith, his former partner at ESPN First Take. You know, everyone uh, listening to this for the most part knows that I have a casual friendship with Colin Coward, and then it's not say. just what he's told me. Hold on, Skip Bayless's reputation at ESPN is the hardest working person in the, at, at the network when he was there. That he, you can you can hate him all you want. That guy's the first one in the building doing show prep. Meanwhile, Stephen A. Smith is laying in bed trying to do show prep on speakerphone. I mean, just it drove Skip Bayless nuts. So he has Skip Bayless's troll gene, but he has Stephen A. Smith's lazy gene. So, I mean, it's like Skip Bayless, that's actually an insult to Skip Bayless. At least Skip Bayless was a a dogged worker, as Len Henning erroneously described Drew Sharp as. I mean, he, he wasn't just a troll. He was a lazy guy that didn't watch games, that pulled sources from Wikipedia, that didn't do his own reporting, which you're going to get into later. So really, he's worse than Skip Bayless. He's a low-rent, lazy Skip Bayless. I that I, I can't argue with that. Um, should we get into the plagiarism now? Yeah, yeah. All let's right. talk. Let's talk okay. about the fact that he was a disgrace of a reporter. He committed the most egregious, worst sin that you can possibly commit in his field. I mean, it's the equivalent of a president committing treason. I mean, it's just the worst thing you can do if that's what your job is. Well, it's let's let's break this down. Do, it's the worst thing a journalist can do. I know. I know people might some somewhat bored of hearing about this, but I think I don't think we've ever really explained really in full detail. The crime, and, and I and I went back and I looked at it over the last couple of days, because um, because none of these people, none of these people would could would, would could bring themselves to mention that he was basically in the last year of his life a, disgr- a disgraced reporter. 
Uh, the only person in Detroit who actually stated anything about the plagiarism scandal in any sort of obituary or death notice uh, was Bill Shea at Cranes. Now, Awful Announcing mentioned it in their recap of his death, but nobody else had the balls to mention it. And to say that, well, you don't mention something like that in an obituary, uh, go read a New York Times obituary, okay? The good, the bad, and the ugly is included in all of that. And if you and if you want to tell the whole story about Drew Sharp, you had to tell the, the David Harden story. So and even if you want to leave it out of the obit, there have been a number of pieces that came out three, four days after the death. You can bring it up then. That hasn't happened right. either. So I get that not being in the first thing that you say, and even even though I think it should, but there's an argument for that. For for it to be still not mentioned four days later, it's this unmentionable no. thing. It's a disgrace. Nobody's mentioned. And let's just explain what he did, okay? David Harnes, who writes for a website called iSportsWeb, wrote an article about Miranda and, and Connor Cook. It was a two-piece article. It was 3,200 words. It was well-researched. He had to interview Connor Cook. He had to interview Miranda. There was other people that were quoted in the story. I don't know how many hours David Harnes spent on that article, but I'm guessing it was a lot. And not for financial gain, um, at all, I'm not sure David Harnes gets any money from iSports Web. It's I'm guessing if it if anything, it's probably below minimum wage, like you know, like the DSR. We're doing this uh, as a public service uh, for fun, for entertainment, but nobody's getting rich on this writing blogs. Uh, and David Harnes has a full time job, a regular gig. I believe was he have three or four kids as well. Um, this this isn't. You know, this wasn't, he wasn't taking this from Matt Charbonneau or, um, an, you know, another Michigan State writer. This was from a guy who's, ba- it's a labor of love, who wrote 3,200 words and spent all of that time writing that article. And then he stole it. There, there, there could be no other wording used. It, and, it, it, you know, we talked about it at the time, but I don't think we ever hashed this out. But what he did was actually like worse than just like stealing two paragraphs, like verbatim from an article, like just quoting something lazily um, from Harnes's piece and just kind of using that wording and maybe changing a word or two, that kind of plagiarism. This plagiarism was even worse because what he did was, as a shortcut to write his own Miranda McCoy Connor Cook article, he stole all of David Harnes' timely legwork. Which to me is even worse than what you know the normal, what you know people maybe think of plagiarism. Just maybe taking two paragraphs at verbatim. I, I, you could make a case what he did was ab- actually worse. And not only did he do that, as you know from your reporting in the article, Drew Sharp lied to his boss about how he got the information that he had to get from David Harnes' article. Kevin Bull, the sports editor there, called called him and said, how did you get this sourcing about Miranda's accident, about their relationship, all of this? And the only place on the internet that had it was Harnes' article on iSportsWeb. And he just lifted it all, just stole it, and then lied and said he interviewed Connor Cook and got all of the backstory about Connor's portion of it, 
details about Miranda's car accident. I mean, he how stupid did he think his boss was? That Connor Cook would know the details of Miranda's car accident. It, 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 it defied any sort of believability. And not only did he, did he lie to his boss repeatedly about it, he then refused to apologize to Harnes, even though Harnes was open to it on several occasions as late as August, of 20, August 29th of 2016 when he gave him another opportunity to apologize. It's all he wanted was, I'm sorry, I apologize for what I did. And Drew Sharp took a pass again. The cover-up is as bad as what he originally did, and what he did was pretty bad. And, you know, there's not a more approachable person on the planet than Dave Harnes. I mean, this would have been so easy to rectify. And honestly, he could have written the article as is with just one line added that, uh, you know, according to Dave Harnes reporting and then, you know, do your thing. I, I thought it was so funny at the time when that article came out and, uh, you know, before we even were alerted to the plagiarism, because I hadn't read the Harnes piece yet. Uh, the first I heard about Miranda McCoy was from Sharp's plagiarized piece, but the comment section was hilarious. I mean, everyone that read him said, oh, my God, Drew, this is not like you. This is not a typical Drew Sharp call. I'm like, good for you. I, I haven't liked a single thing you've written, but this is different, and credit where credit's due, and, and every every cliche in the book, and it's like the one piece that this guy wrote that resonated in any type of positive way was stolen. I, and I do think it's worse than just stealing uh, a paragraph or two verbatim, as you suggest, because it's, it, it was basically that, but it's also, as you mentioned, stealing the legwork and taking that shortcut. And that, that's what's so funny about this, the, the Rex Rhodes saying he's accountable and Lynn Henning saying he's a dogged worker. There wasn't a lazier journalist in town that I'm aware of. I mean, that was his sort of his rap with us. It wasn't just the trolling, but it was how lazy he was in his work. I mean, really, maybe only rivaled by Terry Foster, who just, I mean, isn't even paying attention to games at Eagles to anymore. Well, so let, me, I, it, let me read Rex Rhodes. Let me read Rex Rhodes' quote for you from his article, and I'm going to respond to this probably tonight or tomorrow in article form because that's how offended I am by it. This was from Rex Road, who's at the Tennessean now, but who was the obvious the Michigan State reporter for many years, and he worked with Drew. Quote, that's the real Drew. He was a stand-up person, accountable every day in a way no miserable cyber troll can understand. And a guy who many times over the years went out of his way to help and encourage me and others in this business. Now, let me say something to Dave, excuse me, to Joe Rex Road, okay? How the fuck... Can you say the man was a stand-up person and accountable? When you are friendly with David Harnes, when you know the intimate details, probably more than just about anybody else in the business, regarding what Drew Sharp did to David Harnes, from stealing his work, from lying to your ex-boss, Kevin Bull, to never apologizing to David Harnes, and you have the chutzpah? to say he was a stand-up person and accountable, and then take a shot at me, a veiled shot at me, calling me a miserable cyber troll, which is exactly what he was doing, which I will respond to in writing. This guy's, Rex Rhodes friends with David Harnes, and he had the audacity to write this tripe? What the fuck are you doing? 
as usual, the truth towers the bad guy. And, it, and it, it's just like when your crazy website said, I was the asshole for criticizing your former co-host Jasper. I, I, I'm the prick for describing things that are just true. Now you and I are the assholes as usual for just pointing out the legacy that this guy created for himself. I got contacted by someone I'm friendly with in the media bombing me, absolutely bombing me via text message, saying that I, I was despicable. The things I was saying about Drew Sharp were disgraceful and in terrible taste. And the one thing that I thought was in poor taste was up for about five minutes. And uh, it was that Shawshank quote. And I took it down because I thought it could be misconstrued as being in poor taste right. and it had been intended. But I, I was getting crushed. And when you look back at the, the every other tweet, the ones that I didn't delete, there's not a single thing I would take back. I, I, you know, you're laying out exactly what this guy was. And, and, and that's typical of this soft media where you're the asshole for saying, Hey, look what this asshole's doing. I mean, it, I, I just, I've never bought that argument. I don't think anybody's an asshole for saying, Hey, that behavior that that guy's doing over there, that's deplorable. That's terrible. But of course you're the bad guy. You're the miserable troll. Although you are miserable. Uh, I'm not I, miserable. I don't think you're, <laughs> I don't think you're miserable for pointing out the facts about Drew Sharp. I'm getting bombed by friends via text message in the media about how I handled this thing in the postmortem. Again, I, I, I make no apologies for anything I've ever said about Drew Sharp. I stand by it all, and I, I said it while he was alive. And, you know, the Christopher Hitchens thing when uh, Reverend Falwell died, he said, I'm not going to be conscripted into saying that I'm sad that he's dead or that I thought he was a good person because society or any one person thinks that it's the right thing to do. I, I, I'm not having it. I, I said these things when this guy was alive and I'm going to say it now, you invite me on. Uh, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And that's, I always agreed with Hitchens on that. You just drew sharp, created this bed. This is who he was. This is his career. He, I, I think you, you put it great. His last year on this earth was, uh, he was basically a disgraced reporter. He was an unrepentant thief. Just because I, I don't consider it any different from stealing a TV. I, I just I just don't. I mean, maybe some people can make that distinction. I don't. He basically it, stole just, a TV from a intellectual home. property he, he basically stole a TV from a homeless guy. He stole yeah, it from a guy who doesn't get. That's another good way to put it. He doesn't even, he, he, this, yeah. is a, this is a basically in terms of strictly in terms of the profession. It is like a rich guy stealing a poor guy's television set. Because Drew Sharp is, you know, made good money at the free press by all accounts, was a pretty successful guy. He was an ESPN contributor. I mean, pretty well-established in his field, a pretty big success professionally, whatever you think of him. And he's going to from a blogger, a blogger, by the way, who represents a group of people, bloggers, that he mocked via email to the DSR and mocked in his own column throughout the last five or six years of his life. He mocked bloggers over and over again, saying that they're temperamental, that there's no checks on bloggers, that bloggers just get lazy and throw up any old thing. This guy was uh, one of the most critical people in the media of bloggers that I'm even familiar with. And, and, and then was, he goes yeah. and steals from a blogger. I mean, right. the irony of, uh, and the gall of this guy, this is unbelievable. And he, he, he never paid a price, really. The free press protected him. They never commented on it. Um, the only the 105.1 did nothing. I mean, they ended up firing him, but that was over low ratings. It had nothing to do with his uh, moral compass. The only real penalty he really received, and we basically have received confirmation of this from Sean Belisian, who was on this podcast a few months ago, um, and you can read between the lines of things I said, Dan Miller took him off SportsWorks. 
He had never appeared again on Sportsbooks, and he was on for 15 years, I believe, once or twice a month up until the plagiarism scandal, and Dan Miller pulled him. He was never on again, and that was not a coincidence as we as we learned. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even have de- dedicated the first hour of the show to this story. I wouldn't have written an article. If these people in the Detroit sports media just would have been somewhat honest about his legacy. But if you're not going to do it, you're forcing me to do it. And I'd like to know where Joe Rexrode was, where Bob Wojanowski, Mitch Album, Jeff Seidel, all of these people who rushed to their computer to write an obituary or a glowing article about Drew Sharp when he died. Where were these people when they knew, they knew that he stole from David Harnes? You couldn't even get a, get a solitary tweet from any of them. Where were they to defend David Harnes? Where were they to stand up for Miranda McCoy, who wanted an apology from Drew Sharp herself and who never got one? Where were, where were any of them for that? And then to rush to your keyboard to write bullshit revisionist history when he passes away? That's why I wrote the article. That's why I'm spending an hour on this today. That's why I'm going to write another article about it tomorrow. Because we're not going to let you whitewash the truth. We're not going to let you forget that this is a man who, when he wrote an article about Justin Verlander's no-hitter against Toronto a few years back in 2011, stated there were no controversial plays, there were no close plays in the game, it was an easy no-hitter. When nothing could be further from the truth, Edwin Encarnacion rocketed a line drive back at Justin Verlander, hit him in the right forearm, bounced to the right of the mound, and Justin Verlander got Encarnacion on a bang-bang play which Toronto's manager came out to argue. And Drew Sharp wrote his game, his column saying there was no controversy and that that play in question was a weak little dribble off the mound. It was a rocket that almost knocked Justin Verlander out of the game. And when we called Drew Sharp out on this, we called the free press, they denied it. They said, oh no, he watched it, he saw that play. It was an absolute lie. And I'll let the people of Detroit tomorrow when I post my article, when I show that video again, and his words, you can make your judgment. And nobody ever apologized. And like you said, in emails back and forth, he just mocked me because I was a quote-unquote blogger. The same man who covered... One more thing, and I'll let you go. go The same guy who for years covered the Detroit Pistons, and this guy was super critical of every team in Detroit, Super critical of Michigan and Michigan State. Hell, he was critical of Michigan State in the year they finished top four in the country, and a month before they beat Baylor, didn't have them in the top 25. And I think they had one loss at the time, maybe? Uh, I think they were two. Oregon and Ohio State. Okay, so two. Didn't have them ranked in the top 25. They they lost to the two teams that went to the national title game. exactly, correct. (laughs) Didn't have them in the top 25. A man who was so critical of every other team except for the Detroit Pistons. 
And why wasn't he critical of the Detroit Pistons? Well, my supposition is his cousin, Scott Perry, was the number two to Joe Dumars in the front office. And not only did he never mention that, he would, you know, the the Prince of Darkness or whatever these guys want to call him, you know, the, the critic's critic, was giving the Pistons and Joe Dumars a free pass for years with never disclosing the fact that he had a close family member in the Pistons' front office. And this is the guy that you want to tell me was a paragon of virtue? My point in closing, because i got to run, but I, I made this point on the DSR Facebook page. The reason why we're telling the truth here, there's a number, but the biggest reason to me, there has to be some value in living a righteous life as far as a reporter is concerned, being honest, being hardworking, not stealing the work of other journalists. If everyone is memorialized as a, a nice, hardworking, stand-up, honest, accountable person, there is no value from a legacy standpoint to actually being those things. So if we're not going to punish with some just honest retelling of what, what goes on there, I see no value from a legacy perspective in living a righteous life and being hardworking and being upstanding. So it is a disservice to the honest reporters out there who one day will die and will be discussed and, and memorialized in their respective cities. It's a disservice to them. For us to stand here and pretend that Drew Sharp was one of them, an honest, upstanding, hardworking person. He wasn't. He was a hack of a journalist. Even when he wasn't stealing, he was a total disingenuous joke. I'm not going to sit here and say that someone who was bad was good. Someone who was dishonest was honest. Someone who was unaccountable was accountable. That is unfair to all the people who represent what's right in this business, what's right in this industry, and what's right just as a human being. So that's what we're all close. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to listening to the second half of the show. Goose Sharp now was a plagiarist. Have a good night, guys. That uh, is Justice Spiro chiming in. Uh, he wrote the story about uh, Sharp's plagiarism. He broke that story when he was at the DSR. I, I don't know where he's at now. Calls in. On the show, doesn't show up. <laughs> he's a member of the DSR Elite Forums again. Um, believe he was fired by Detroit Sports Nation last week for his insensitive tweets. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go read a couple more things, and then we're gonna play some clips, and then we're gonna finish up the first hour and get onto something other than Drew Sharp. But this was uh, Brian Cook at Engo Blog. Wrote a wrote something on his uh, website today uh, regarding Drew Sharp, and I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, this was an email that Deadspin found a couple years back that Sharp sent to one of his critics, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it, it just tells you pretty much everything you need to know about Drew Sharp. Quote: Wah wah. Does the little baby need a pacifier? Yeah, Detroit needs writers that make excuses for the city and simply tell the idiots in the town what they want to hear. They've been doing that for 30 years in this town, and that's a big reason why Detroit is swirling down the toilet. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not a happy, feel-good story, is it? Ha, 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 ha. That's how he responded to a reader's criticism. Uh, You know, we definitely need a critic in this town. People view me as a critic. 
but be an honest critic, not someone who is basically a Vince McMahon creation. Someone who is a phony, who is just saying things to get a reaction from people. And that and that's where I'm gonna, you know, end this segment before we get into the clips. This misnomer that Drew Sharp was always negative about the team. Drew Sharp was negative about what he wanted to be negative about to get the reaction from his reader. That's why Drew Sharp defended the Tigers over and over regarding the 2013 Doug Fister trade when it was indefensible. But he defended the Tigers over and over. So don't say that he was just constantly attacking the teams because he didn't. If he thought he could get a reaction from you by defending the team, that's what he did. He did it on Doug Fister, and I'll go back a few years before that, if you remember a Tiger pitcher named Jerger Jens who got traded to Atlanta and at the All-Star break, I think he was like 12-3 and three with an ERA under two. He made the All-Star, break, uh, All-Star team. Having a great year. The Tigers got nothing for him, basically. It was a horrible trade. Jerger ended up getting hurt and I think petered out. But at the time, uh, we had given up an All-Star starter for, for nothing. I think Jock Jones was, I think, who we got for him, if my memory serves. And he would defend the Tigers then, because Tiger fans were irate that they gave up Jerger Jens, who looked like he had a promising future, for an over-the-hill outfielder. But Drew Sharp took that opportunity to defend the Tigers, because he knew it would piss you off. There was an equation in Drew Sharp's head that... He would determine how he was going to take he, how he was going to take any issue, and th- it, that's that's what he did. And Jamie Samuelson, for him to write in his blog, I'm going to quote this: "If you thought Drew was a negative writer, trust me, I tell you, he was exactly the opposite as a person. He was fun, caring, funny, intelligent. His opinions weren't bits." His opinions weren't bits. You're the only fucking person in the world who thinks that, Jamie. They were real, and he'd passionately argue them over a beer, just as he would as he, if he wrote in the free press. Please. His opinions weren't bits. Well, I want to quote two former co-workers of, of Drew Sharp who worked at WDFN with him. And these are both anonymous quotes. Um, for obvious reasons, because not everyone in the world is as big as an asshole as Spiro and me and willing to criticize a person before they've been buried. <laughs> but these are two quotes from people he worked with at WDFN. Quote, I never made an effort to get to know him. I was told by others he was a great guy and nothing like his columns. I was never given a good reason why we were paying a guy to be as dishonest to the listeners as he was to his readers, unquote. Jamie Samuelson, his opinions weren't bits. But this guy just just told you, I was never given a good reason why we were paying a guy to be as dishonest to the listeners as he was to his readers. And then I'm going to give you one more quote. 
I didn't like Drew Sharp's work in print or on radio, and I have absolutely nothing nice to say about him. I was not a fan at all. I didn't know him personally. To me, he symbolized everything that is wrong with sports print and sports radio in Detroit. And that was another co-worker at WDFN who wishes to remain anonymous. And th- that's, that's the legacy of Drew Sharp. Maybe he was a good guy. Maybe, you know, you had a beer with him over at Chelly's after a Tigers or a Lions game. Maybe he was great to hang out with. We never got to see that Drew Sharp over a 33-year period. And that ain't our fault. That's his. I'm going to play, as we go into break, a clip. This was um, a couple years ago. I tried to sneak into... a Dave Dombrowski press conference in 2014 after the season, after they got swept by the Baltimore Orioles. The previous year I got into a press conference down there. Uh, This year, that year, they were on the lookout for me, and I couldn't sneak in. So I had to leave, and as I was leaving, I got into my car, and who was walking into the press conference but Drew Sharp? He was late for the presser and I would pulled up next to him and uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I had this to say to him. You're not going to hear a lot from Drew, but you'll hear me and then we'll go to a break and we'll come back. Um, talk about something else. Hey Drew, you stink. You're terrible. You're also late. You're like five minutes late. That's not really professional kind of like not watching Justin Verlander's no-hitter, but writing an article about it. Hey, how about Cy Fister? How's he doing? How's Cy doing, Drew? Who? Cy Fister. You know. You named him Cy. How's he doing? Are they in the playoffs right now? Yeah, it's probably his fault. It's probably his fault, you imbecile. You're late. You should probably step it up. You're going to miss everything, Drew, just like Justin Verlander's no-hitter. And then you're gonna you'll write something stupid like there was a weak liner with no controversy. Yeah, keep yawning, you moron. You're an absolute moron. See ya, Drew. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back on the DSR podcast. Thanks to uh, the Gallagher brothers for playing us into that break with uh, Don't Look Back in Anger right after an audio clip of me bombing a dead guy for a minute. Uh, That wasn't on purpose, but uh, it worked out pretty well. So what do we talk about? I'm not not sure how long I'm going to go in the second hour. Some people mentioned the fact that we should have a maybe a Pistons preview on tonight's show as the season starts tomorrow. And uh, the litmus test for what I want to put on the show is would would it bore the shit out of me if I was at home listening? And I don't know. I just have no interest in doing a Pistons preview. I, I just, you know, I guess I'll watch them. I I don't have much hope for them until Reggie Jackson comes back. 
the only interesting thing to me will be watching to see how Andre Drummond shoots from the free throw line. It's basically the only subplot that I'm interested in at all. Maybe Stanley Johnson's improvement a second year, maybe. But other than that, I just have no desire to spend 15 minutes talking about the Pistons. I did find it interesting that it came out yesterday in a L. Brooks Patterson interview, uh, L. Brooks being the uh, chief executive for Oakland County, that the uh, Detroit Pistons, led by owner Tom Gore's Platinum Equity Group, I guess went to L. Brooks in Oakland County and offered to sell the Palace of Auburn Hills to Oakland County for $384 million. And the county said, thanks, but no thanks. But can you imagine if they would have said yes? That would have meant Tom Gores was asking Oakland County to pay more for the Palace of Auburn Hills than what he paid for the Detroit Pistons, that building, Meadowbrook, Pine Knob, uh, and everything else that came as part of the sale of the Detroit Pistons from uh, Karen Davidson. That, that would have been absolutely hilarious <laughs> if he would have got more from the building alone than what he paid Karen Davidson. Karen Davidson made one of the worst deals in the history of professional sports. She sold that uh, team probably for maybe 60% of what she could have got if she would have waited another year or so. And uh, to wrap up something I said in the early in the first segment, uh, it wasn't Jock Jones, it was Edgar Renteria. That was the, that was the trade Spiro texted me and said I had that mixed up, and I did. Uh, so there's also, uh, there, was, there was one person who did criticize Drew Sharp. It was only one person in the entire Drew Detroit sports media who, in public anyway, plenty in private did it, but there was only one person who publicly criticized Drew Sharp for plagiarizing David Harns, and that was Mike Valente. And I, I thought we should play the clip of that, considering... Um, Give him credit because he was the only one who did. Deep one brutal, man. Two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. Let's go to Jerry ninety seven. Well, what's up, Jerry? Hey guys, how's it going? Good, brother. What's up? Hello. What do you guys think of Drew Sharp plagiarizing a blogger? Uh, that that that's a mess. That's what that is. It's a mess. I mean, what do you, what do you want me to tell you, Jerry? I don't know how. I don't know how to freak keeps doing it. I don't. You had Mitch tell me Jason Richardson was uh, at a game that he wasn't. And 10 years later, you got that. I don't know what you want me to tell you, brother. I like Drew personally. I do. I know, Terry, you do as well. Right. That, that thing's a mess. Can't do it. Two four eight five three nine ninety seven ninety seven. Let's get to the people. So that was the one person in the Detroit sports media who actually criticized uh, Drew Sharp for stealing from David Harnes. And, and for people like Tony Paul, who on Friday when Sharp passed away, to go on Twitter and and state that, oh, he just got to know him over the last few months and 
what a great guy he was. You know, you should have been on the receiving end of my text messages and Spiro from Tony Paul uh, when that plagiarism scandal was going on. Uh, <laughs> it's one thing to say nothing, Tony, but to, to go out of your way and say, oh, what a great guy he was because he, you know, commended you on your Orlando uh, shooting article. Tony Paul is like the Donald Trump of Detroit sports media and the fact that if you say anything nice to him, he will like you. He, you know, like Vladimir Putin says something nice about Donald Trump. Well, he must be a good guy. And then the minute you say something negative about Tony Paul, then you're on his shit list. So uh, I wish Tony would have said something in public about True Sharp's plagiarism and not that bullshit that came out of his Twitter account on Friday. We've had another week of stories regarding the Detroit Tigers. Um, I think it was Buster Olney the other day who basically wrote that everybody was for sale. Uh, The Tigers are open for business, willing to trade anybody, was the exact quote uh, from Buster Olney on Friday. That includes uh, Miguel Cabrera, Justin Verlander, Ian Kinsler, J.D. Martinez. You, the list goes on and on and on. It's anyone on the team except for probably Michael Fulmer, Daniel Norris, and a few other guys. Story also came out on Friday that the Tigers were ready to, to trade Justin Upton just a couple of months after signing him to a a five-year, $110.6 million contract. They were really willing to trade him even though they were still in a playoff hunt, as we all know, up until the last day of the season, just to dump his salary, not even to get anything back. And if you want any further proof that Chris Illich is calling the shots and it's not Mike Illich and that Spiro's timeline of when Mike Illich became gravely ill. If you want any more confirmation of that, I don't know what else to tell you. But this organization is a fucking mess. It's a joke. Last winter, Mike Illich is signing off on the Upton deal, the Zimmerman deal. Gives a green light to give Mike Pelfrey a two-year contract for $16 million. They trade for, for um, K-Rod. They trade for Mabin. They add all of that salary. It goes over $200 million. They're paying a luxury tax. All of those long-term commitments, long-term, five years. For a soon-to-be 87-year-old owner. This wasn't a one-year contract to Cespedes or two years. These were long-term commitments, especially to Upton, a guy who wanted some stability after being traded year after year. Yeah, and I know he's got a two-year opt-out, but he, you know, I'm sure I'm guessing that was his agent more than anything. I don't think that Upton probably planned on leaving Detroit. You know, he's making 
a little over $22 million a year for a corner outfielder. Um, he'd really have to put up some insane numbers to opt out of that five-year $10.6 million deal after two years. I think he had every intention of staying in Detroit for that whole five years. Because he, he he said it after he signed it. He goes, I want to be somewhere. I want to know where I'm going to be for a few years. And to put him on the market a few months after he signed that deal, I, 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 I'm starting to wonder. I wonder if his agent heard about it, if it got back to Upton. Could that have been part of why he struggled so much? Did he find out? Did it get back to him that the Tigers were already shopping him? A guy who came here for some stability? And because Michael Il- Mike Illich's health took a turn for the worst and Chris Illich grabbed the reins, that they were already shopping a guy they had just made that huge financial commitment to? And I guarantee if Jordan Zimmerman wasn't hurt and completely damaged goods and untradeable, I'm guessing that Jordan Zimmerman would have been on the market too. All because Chris Illich doesn't give a shit about the Tigers. And the minute his old man was incapacitated and out of the picture, Chris Illich during the season asked Al Avila to try to trade Justin Upton. And who knows who else. Because I stated this last week. If Al Avila at some point during the season knew, before the trade deadline, that this was the last kick at the can with a $200 million payroll, why didn't he add a lefty specialist reliever? Why didn't he maybe go after a starter who could fill in as a fifth starter with all the injuries? Why didn't he do whatever it took to get into the postseason this year to take one more run at it if you were going to have to drastically cut the payroll? And this is why a legitimate, critical, aggressive, honest media is important. Because for the last 20 years, we've basically had nothing with the Detroit Tigers in between a bunch of lap dogs who were running company PR for the team. Guys like John Palmarosi, Tom Gage, Chris Ayotte, Matthew Mori, Mori. You can go do through the list of every beat writer for this team for the last 20 years who just slapped up the company line and said whatever the fuck the Tigers wanted him to say. You had that. And in the other corner, you had Drew Sharp, who nobody takes seriously in this town, who nobody took seriously. Drew Sharp saying something negative. Everyone took it with a grain of salt because everything he said was negative, and he never had any salient points. It was just to troll. This is why it's important to have legitimate criticism from columnists and beat writers. Because where is anyone out there questioning what's going on with the Detroit Tigers right now? Where is anyone questioning how much payroll's got to be lopped off? Where is anyone stating, other than Tony Paul, who wasn't allowed in the building, who's calling the shots? Is it Chris Illich, Mike Illich, 
Don't even ask the question, is it Chris Illich or Mike Evans? We know. Say, okay, ask this question of Villa. We know Chris Illich is calling the shots now. Don't even give him a chance to, 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 to divert it. And then ask whatever question, how much payroll is coming off? Why are we doing this? Why is a team that in 2017, with a little bit of luck and health, and some progression from Norris, Fulmer, and Boyd, could easily be in the position that the Cleveland Indians are in tonight? Why, didn't, why isn't anyone asking that question? Why the fuck are we in a rush right now? After going through this era with no World Series ring, while the Kansas City Royals win one last year and the Indians start their pursuit tonight of maybe winning one, why isn't anyone asking these questions? Why isn't anyone writing articles about this? Why a a family that's worth over $5 billion and received $280 million in public money to build their new arena, why are we giving up on this? And you think it's going to be depressing when the Indians win the World Series, maybe? How about when Rick Porcello later this month and Max Scherzer win Cy Young Awards and Justin Verlander finishes second or third in the voting? And you realize that we had all of those guys on a staff for years and never got it done. With salaries double the Royals, double the Indians. And now that the window is reopened because of the influx of young talent, Castellanos, the pitchers I mentioned, Bruce Rondon maybe solidifying the bullpen, maybe Joe Jimenez coming up at some point next year and helping. Where is the questioning of this strategy and why they're doing it now? Where is the article about this team obviously being leaned, or excuse me, made more lean for a potential sale? Where are the articles about maybe is this is there some sort of deal now that we know that the Pistons were off, offered up the Palace of Auburn Hills to the County of Oakland? that we now know 100% for sure, based on that, based on our Tellum's comments a couple weeks ago we reported on, in that golf club discussion that was supposedly off the record, but it wasn't because we had someone inside there. We know the Pistons are moving downtown. The Pistons are moving downtown to play in Little Caesars Arena. Has anyone asked what Tom Gores is going to get out of that, and is there some sort of deal maybe being worked out that the Tigers are going to be owned by Tom Gores and maybe he's ordering them to cut payroll before he takes over? Who know? I don't know. Where's the article? Where's anyone questioning any of this? And maybe nobody's going to answer. Maybe Al is not going to answer. Maybe Chris Illich isn't going to pick up the phone. But you've got a pen and a pad. You've got a computer. Write an article about this. Where's the discussion of that? Where's the pressure ever coming from in Detroit from the media to keep the the team's feet to the fire in a legitimate way, not a trolling way, like the legacy of Drew Sharp? You know, you don't think these people can shape and mold public opinion? 
I got news for you. A lot of people still read the free press online and the paper version and the news. And then a lot of these same idiots go regurgitate what they read or what dummies like Scott Anderson and Doug Harsh say on the radio. I'm not saying having an aggressive, critical, pointed media would help, would guarantee winning a title for any of the teams in Detroit. But it wouldn't hurt. Because there's no external pressure, except for bloggers. Some of them. Not all of them, which I'm going to get to in a second. So we're just left here waiting on October 25th or whenever the fuck you're listening to this. Just in the next few days. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Tony Paul suggested today the Tigers might be cutting $40 million in payroll. Maybe that's, maybe that's what they have to cut? $40 million? And I understand that maybe trading Justin Verlander might be a might be beneficial. I mean, there's an argument you can be made that trading a guy who's 33 years old and getting a haul from him in young pitching, if you hit on the Cespedes deal, you hit on the price deal, and then you trade Verlander for a similar haul that The Phillies received for Justin Verl, excuse me, for Roy Halladay when they got Kyle Drabeck and some other players. If, if, if those guys turn out to be good and not Kyle Drabeck, you could build a whole pitching staff under team control for the next few seasons. And that's how you avoid being the Philadelphia Phillies and an aging team with a big payroll that can't get it done. There's an argument to trade Verlander. But that's completely separate from Chris Illich's gutting of his father's team. And I'll say it again. Sell the fucking team now. What are you waiting for? You're going to do it anyway, so why are you going to drag your name through the mud? Why are you going to piss off Tigers fans, and they're all going to hate you? Because sooner or later... These dolts, these dummies are going to figure it out that it's you, Chris Illich. I doubt Al Avila wants to, to go this way. I'm, gu- I'm guessing Al Avila would probably like a $210, $250 million, $250 million payroll next year. Not cut $40 million off. Speaking of bloggers who are absolutely fucking awful, I want, I want to mention George Malik, who writes the Malik Report, <laughs> covering the Detroit Red Wings. Th- this guy is an embarrassment, and he has been for years, and I've reported on it. And I kind of just gave up on the guy because the guy's admittedly got some health, some mental health issues, depression. The guy's giving me depression by reading his uh, recent posts. 
his comments about Jacob Chikorin have been absolutely uh, hilarious. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull one up here from from the other night regarding the, the Red Wings drafting um, Dennis Chalowski trading the Datsuk contract. to get relief for free agency. Hold hold on one second, let me pull it up cuz he wrote another blog post, but I don't feel like going through all of that cuz he wrote like an 800 defense page uh, excuse me 800 word defense of Ken Holland, but this is what he said the other night. I know the Yotes right away calling the Coyotes the Yotes, just so I want to punch this fucker in the face, have Jacob Chikorin on their roster contributing. All I can say is we'll have to see how Chalowski turns out. Right now, it's not great to watch the Yotes. He fucking said it again. They're the Coyotes or Arizona, you douchebag. The Yotes. The Yotes get instant contributions from Chikorin. But Chalowski could very well be a first-pair defenseman down the line. Where do I even start with that nonsense? Chalowski could very well be a first-pair defenseman down the line? Yeah, in the same way that you might be an actual credible source of Red Wings information somewhere down the line. I mean, you could say that about any prospect. You dumbass. We've got a guy playing 18, 19 minutes a night for the Arizona Coyotes right now, 18 years old, who's scoring a point almost every night. While Dennis Chalowski's minus two in four games with two assists for St. Cloud State University or something to to those effect, to that effect, playing in college hockey. Jacob Trick Chikrin has more of a role right now with the Arizona Coyotes than Ryan Sproul and Xavier Olette, who are five years his senior. We all know that Jacob Chikrin is going to be a top three defenseman now. It's pretty fucking obvious. He was considered at, some, at one point the second best defenseman in the past draft. He's made the Coyotes as an 18-year-old, whether he gets sent back or not in a few games to his junior team. But it's pretty apparent that Jacob Chikrin is going to be a very, very, very good NHL defenseman for a very long time. And we are still four years away from seeing if Dennis Chalowski can be any better than Sproul or Lett or Nick Jensen or any of the other prospects that the Red Wings have let sit in Grand Rapids for years. Who's paying you for these opinions? George Malik? I gotta know. Who's paying you? Oh, and you might be saying, oh, Moss, he's just a slapdick. There's nobody paying him. How do you know that? Because we know for a fucking fact 
when he posted a question and answer a couple months back with Dan Milstein, Pavel Datsuk's agent, that Dan Milstein is paying him, was paying him to write for his blog. Now, you follow this. This isn't some Glenn Beck conspiracy theory. This isn't some kooky Donald Trump theory that the election is rigged. We know that George Malik did a question and answer session with Dan Milstein, Pavel Datsuk's agent. We know that occurred. We know for a fact that the that the Malik report in Kukla's corner tweeted it out that interview. We then know how embarrassing those questions were to Dan Milstein, as posed by George Malik. And we further know that people on Twitter and in social media questioned Malik. Why did you write this glowing question? Why did you ask these softball questions of Datsuk's agent? Why did you do it? Someone from Winging in Motown pointedly asked Malik, did you get paid for this? And Malik said yes, that he gets paid by Dan Milstein, Pavel Datsuk's agent. He didn't disclose that on his blog or when he tweeted out the link at all. Not until someone questioned him. Did he admit that he was getting paid by Dan Milstein, Pavel Datsuk's agent? And now, six, eight weeks later, Friday night, he's he's tweeting about Jacob Chikrin, saying we have to wait to see what happens with Dennis Chalowski. He writes an 800-word post today expanding on this that there's so many moving parts that Franz Nielsen was signed because of the trade. And Steve Ott, he actually used Steve Ott as some sort of defense for trading the 16th pick to fall to number 20 so we could get rid of Pavel Datsuk's contract. And you know where I'm going with this, folks. George Malik gets paid by Dan Milstein, admittedly. And forever, Pavel Detsuk's legacy will be tied to Jacob Chikrin. Why? Because Pavel Datsuk deciding he had to go back to Mother Russia and not fulfill his contract, which was front-loaded, mind you, leaving the Red Wings high and dry with eight, was it seven, eight million dollars in dead cap space this year necessitated in Ken Holland's mind that the Red Wings had to get dump that salary so they could go out and piece the lineup together. So Pavel Datsuk's legacy is tied to Jacob Chikrin. So don't you think it would be in the interest of Dan Milstein to somehow lessen what Jacob Chikrin as an 18-year-old defenseman is doing in the NHL today? And he has his paid blogger, George Malik, repeatedly over the last 72 hours making the case 
on why it's too early to judge dumping Datsuk. This guy should be recusing himself from discussing anything about Pavel Datsuk. You are on the payroll of his agent. You fucking bought and paid for a whore. This is outrageous. That's this town. Even the bloggers suck. (laughs) You have to file the money with a blogger. The guy doesn't even understand that he should just keep his fucking mouth shut about anything Pavel Datsuk related. And with that, I wish you Adieu. We will be back next week. Next Tuesday at 5 o'clock. I appreciate you listening in. And uh, you know what? I think before we go, in case you didn't hear it before, since we're, we got a few more minutes, I'm going to play some of Sour Shoes. From the Howard Stern Show. Pranking Drew Sharp. If you never heard that. Um, That was from. When did we do that? February of this year. After the. uh, After the. um, Plagiarism scandal. If you don't know who. Sour Shoes is. He is a character on the Howard Stern Show. He's a caller. Calls in Stern Show. Calls in Mike Francesa Show. Calls in Dan Patrick. Does a lot of voices. Does Scotty Farrell, does uh, Mike Mad Dog Russo. For this interview, he acted like he was Scotty Farrell and fooled Drew Sharp into thinking he was doing an interview for his radio show on the CBS radio network. So let's play some of that as we end the show, just in case you, uh, you never heard this before. And I'll shut my mic off and you can enjoy this. Sorry about that. We're having a bad connection. We're at this casino. is maddening, dude. <laughs> it, it says we're raging out here. I mean, the last time I was out in Vegas, I was in Mandalay Gay, and I was stoked out of my mind. I was drinking tequila shots and uh, Dr. Pepper, and I had a bucket of KFC chicken, and I could drink the ocean. I mean, that, when you eat that Kentucky Fried Chicken, I don't care what you eat it with, the extra crispy of the grill... You could drink the whole Pacific Ocean. I was so thirsty. I ended up uh, back. I remember Artie Lang was out with me, and we ended up back in, in his room with like nine different strippers and like two guys that looked that looked uh, familiar to Caitlyn Jenner before the operation. So I know what it's like to have a good time out here. But how are you? Good fun. It's awesome to talk to you. Um, uh, what's been happening with you? What have you been up to? Yeah, things been busy out here, and you can see with the uh, with all the Michigan football stuff, the right. Detroit Lions hiring a new coach, uh, you know, bringing a new general manager. And everything. Uh, yeah, Bob Quinn. Um, before I get to that, Harbaugh, what what grade you give him for the for the season he had with Michigan? Well, yeah, you, you have to give him a, an A. 
Well, most people didn't think he'd win 10 games. Right. But the players he was inheriting from Brady Hoke. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're still the third best team in their own division. No doubt. Ohio State, Michigan State are still the better teams right now. And I know you can't play the what-if game if a ball bounced here, the time of the clock, the whole situation, but let's, fa- let's, all fa- let's face it. I mean, the record could have even have been better. If it was possible, it could have been better. It could have been better. That game was maddening. The Minnesota game where uh, if, if Coach Tracy Clayton have a brain fart right there in the fourth quarter there on that last possession, I, I thought, it all bounces out. I, I thought Coach for Minnesota and Dobler, remember that show Coach on ABC? Yeah. I, I thought Coach and Dobler were in on something. I, I mean, I thought I was dreaming. <laughs> I thought I was, I, was, I was flashing back to college when... Uh, when I was doing quaaludes and goofballs and, and mesk, and I was seeing, like, Jerry Van Dyke in my sleep, like, telling me to gap read down and, and pull the tight end, you know? I was I couldn't believe what I was watching. And uh, my buddy at the Stern Show, John Hine, was, like, crying. And the guy, I don't know if you remember, the guy the camera was on at the end of that game looked just yeah. like John Hine. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, that, was a, that was a wild game, wild finish. You talked about Bob Quinn and uh, keeping Jim Caldwell. Your thoughts about that? Well, you know, I understand why they hired Bob Quinn. They want him to institute the Patriot way. You know, he was uh, worked under mm-hmm. Belichick for several years. So I understand that move. But it didn't make any sense bringing back Jim Caldwell. I, I think that was strictly ownership. Martha Firestone Ford, the owner of the Lions, I think wanted to keep Jim Caldwell for another year. And she impressed upon her new... Uh, or do a GM hired to do whatever you could to keep them in place. I mean, they're, they're grooming pretty much everyone else out of that organization. But the one person they're keeping is Jim Caldwell, the, the one guy who you can make a case that probably not deserve to get a third year. Right. Well said. She kind of has that Georgia Fontiera of the uh, L.A. Lambs look to her, you know, or not so much the look, but the personality. I always thought she was a hot box of rocks. I always thought Dick Vermeil, her squeal, had something going with her. And I always wonder in the Lions organization, is there something going with her? But you know, they got they had four, five games this year, and let's not let's not forget three of the games were officiating horrible, a f- horrible officiating. And I'm not I'm not, by no means a Lions fan, you know that. Right. I mean No, there there's some bad there's some questionable officiating. There's no question about that, but it's also a situation where, you know, the Lions couldn't do anything offensively. That had nothing to do with the officiating. Exactly. They they dug their. You know, there's something that they they were not a playoff team. They were not supposed to be a playoff team last year. So despite all the bad officiating, they were the team that they were supposed to be. Right. Don't correct that. I mean, they they right. I mean, a lot of teams, a handful of Giants could say the same thing. Maybe not to the same extreme. The Lions could say what the Giants could say about being ahead in games and losing. But I mean, there were like a bunch of teams, a handful of games there. Where and they went on that nice little run three quarters of the way through the season where they, they, they you know I mean we were looking at it when they when they lost that game to Green Bay on that Thursday night if they won that game uh, you know at that time we weren't sure if nine wins might get you in as a wild card they could have gotten in yeah we were thinking maybe this run's going to continue they looked damn good that night against Green Bay and just the the air was let the building was in shock when that I mean when he threw that ball. I mean, when he scrambles and puts every... He's back on his own, what, 30-yard line when he lets that ball go? Right. And... Right. And Jim Caldwell was the only person in watching that game who didn't think they were going to try him, Harry. He was the only person who yeah. didn't think they were going to try him.
were going to try to help Mary. Oh, that's the guy that they thought third to third year to No, because Aaron Rodgers just doesn't can't throw a football, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, uh, Lynn, uh, not well. Lynn Dickey could throw a ball. It wasn't. Uh, Mikowski could throw too. It wasn't. Who, who am I looking? Who was that? Uh, who was that pig that used to they used to put in there? Now Zoli Zoli is the backup now, but who was that pig back in the '80s that used to get in there and just throw the ball all over the joint, and get picked off? Was it? I'm thinking he was a backup for the Packers. This guy was a backup. Or it would it made what it could have been uh Mikowski? Oh, it was I think it was before Mikowski. And I think I you know, I get picked that Lion quarterback with the Polish last name. I loved him. Yeah. Dan uh Dan. Matt Mikowski, yeah. And then the Lions had a guy in the eighties before uh Eric Kramer. Yeah. They had a guy that oh, Ola Ola something last name. I forget what it I forget what his name is. I was like visions of that. Um we're t- by the way, we're on live. We're raging with Drew Sharp, Detroit Free Press. This guy's an animal. Shake it up. Um, I- I'd like to take some. F- I'd like to open the phones because we got a lot of people on the phones who just love love Detroit football. But first, uh, their team coming into next year, and I don't know if you saw it. There are 60 to one odds to getting to the Super Bowl and winning it. Now, their schedule, I think the, the North this year plays the NFC East. Is that correct? Uh, could be. So they're going to have uh, a bunch of, a a bunch of winnable schedule. games on their schedule. I mean, I know you don't know year to year with the NFL. A lot of us know Cowboys should be better. Philadelphia should be better. Uh, the Giants, I think the Giants with a couple edge rushers could be an 11-win team. As funny as that may sound, it could happen. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about is uh, I've been reading I've been reading an awful announcing and the big lead that you plagiarized the work of a blogger David Harnes. Now what's going on with that? This guy has been all over your ass, David Harnes. <laughs> I needed a laugh. Dick bag. Drew. Lose my number. Bye. Drew. Drew. Hello? This is a previously recorded episode of